CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Part two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, June 24th is still brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, there's the brown line, and of course, our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. It was about a week ago I was talking to my dear friend Monroe Anderson and uh, regular guest right here in the Ben Jarowski show every Wednesday. We just got off the uh, show with him. And I was talking about, we were talking about Spike Lee's uh, Defy Bloods, the movie about uh, five veterans, black veterans of the United States war uh, with Vietnam. And uh, Monroe said, you have to talk to my dear friend, my former college roommate, Charles Allison. He's a musician. Uh, jazz musician he's a professor he lives in montreal but you have to hear his story about his service uh in uh, as a soldier in vietnam so he gave me the number one thing led to another and i had a delightful conversation with charles ellison and he agreed to come on the show and be talking about it all day charles ellison welcome to my show thank you it's a pleasure to be here and uh, so that, uh, yes, indeed, Charles Ellison, I could just trying to picture this, a young Charles Ellison and a young Monroe Anderson as roommates uh, together. Uh, that could be a sitcom. And uh, but we'll uh, we'll leave some of the, uh, the the goofier exploits that you two 17 or 18 year olds did back in 1965, I think it was, or 66, there you go, yeah. 65. So why don't we start the story, Charles, by telling um, how it was that we're a little bit about your life before you got to Bloomington uh, and uh, eventually joined the army. You're from Indiana, correct? Well, no, I'm originally from Trenton, Tennessee. Okay. Trenton, Tennessee is a very small uh, town in western Tennessee. It's in close uh, proximity to Jackson, Tennessee. Jackson, Tennessee figures prominently into black history uh, in that uh, that's where Kinte and that whole thing uh, happened with our church there, uh, right next door. So um, uh, I, um, I grew up in Trenton. In my uh, first year of high school, my family moved to uh, from Trenton to Jackson, and in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, I, I went to Lincoln Elementary School, which was just a regular, beautiful school, and you know, just doing my thing. Everything was segregated there then at the time. And um, one summer, I had the occasion to visit Tennessee and reconnect with my two homeboys, uh, Nero Lawrence and Willie James Harrison. Mm-hmm. Both of them had begun playing trumpet in their in their high school band. And so they were having a rehearsal, and um, they said, well, Charles, would you like to come? I said, sure, I'd like to come. And so they allowed me to come to the rehearsal, and the band director was so nice, he allowed me to sit in the, in the trumpet section with them. They both played trumpet, and they started rehearsing. And I was just amazed, amazed with the beauty of, of the sounds, with the, uh, with the sense of community, with the sense of uh, single-mindedness, with the sense of... Uh, of, of melody, of rhythm, of harmony, all of these things that spoke to me somehow. 
And I'll never forget that. I was, I just loved it so, so much. So that was that. I went, we went, went back home and everything. Then I returned to Jackson to, for my first year at, at the high school. And about, uh, I guess about halfway through the year, they made an announcement that uh, there would be a, um, a music class. And who wants to be in it? My hand went up right away. Yes. And what do you want to play? Cuppet. So, so, uh, I told my parents that, that I'd like to be in the band and play trumpet. And of course, we were very poor. We didn't know it, but we were poor. And they said, well, God, I don't know if we can or how we can afford you an instrument, Charles. But um, at any rate, uh, they got me an instrument. I got in the band. And um, uh, Mr. Uh, Lawrence McClellan was the bass, was the teacher. And he was so good. And I showed a lot of, um, just a lot of proclivities for the instrument. I was able to advance myself without private lessons. And uh, I started to compose right away. I didn't know what I was doing, but I would, uh, we'd play a song, you know, and then I'd write something out, and I'd take it to him and say, Mr. Clinton, look at this, what I wrote. He said, oh, Charles, he said, mm, this is very interesting. It probably looked like hieroglyphics. <laughs> but he said, <laughs> he said, it's very interesting. He said, now, could you sing what you have here? And I would sing it, he said, very interesting melody, very interesting melody. He said, you know, music is, is in is in many ways mathematics, and you just lack a little information. So I want to give you the, some of the information that you're lacking, you know. And so he explained to me about sounds and silences and how to uh, uh, how to uh, to deal with both of them and that kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I so I started practicing, and uh, I guess I was uh, I was I was something else because I I, uh, I advanced really really fast, really really fast, and. Uh, but about mm, two months into my high school career, uh, my family moved to South Bend, Indiana. Mm. My father had come up already. He, he, my father had reached the top of the employment possibilities for black in 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 the Jackson. Uh, he uh, worked at a crystal crystal factory, and uh, he wanted to we were going to go to Cleveland. But he had a sister in South Bend, Indiana, who, who insisted that, well, you have to come through here and see me before you go to Cleveland. And so he did. My mother and my two siblings, my my uh, sister and my younger, youngest brother, stayed, of course. And uh, he went to South Bend. And when he got to South Bend, he found out that his, his sister, Aunt Pearl, had uh, acquired a job for him in South Bend. She said, you don't need to go to Cleveland. You can stay here. And so he stayed in South Bend, and that's how I stayed in South Bend. Once I'm in South Bend, I'm in a high school, uh, Central High School, which is a downtown high school. Roughly uh, 45% black, 45% white, and the other uh, basically uh, Mexican or Hispanic, something like that. And it was the, the school was a choice school. The school in the school just academically uh, and 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 in arts as well. We had a symphony orchestra, 100 pieces. We had a concert band, 100 pieces. We had a chamber orchestra, which was about um, 45 pieces. We had a uh, uh, an orchestra, for, a pit band for for shows that we did. We had a marching band. We had a jazz band, and we had various ensembles so it was incredible we it was just incredible and i just i just moved into that and i did that and did that and did that and uh i graduated uh and went to indiana university now you were going to study bill adams 
You were going to study music at to study uh, music. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You see, in Jackson and stuff, I was showing a lot of interest in science and in physics and that sort of thing. And they was saying, they were saying, "Oh, Charles is going to be a physicist. He's going to be a he's going to be a, he's going to be a doctor or something like that." So my family was thinking about that. And cool music came into my life. <laughs> and they said, oh, my God. Charles, you want to be a music musician? I said, yes. And they stuck by me. They were very young. They had me when they were 16. Mm. But they stuck by me. They said, Charles, we'll do everything we can for you. He said, but don't but don't, but don't, do this as a hit or miss thing. You got to hit, you know. So they, they supported. You know, it was, it was beautiful. Now, and I remember getting uh, in, I, in South Bend. Yeah. I'm sorry, go on. I just have a quick question for you. Was there sort of a, there was a, a trumpet player that you styled yourself on, that you almost dressed like or looked like or wanted to be? Uh, was there anyone at the top? Oh, of, of the- course, of course. Of course, there were two. There was there was Clifford Brown and there was Rafael Mendez. Rafael Mendez is a famous uh, Mexican trumpet player who uh, actually ruled with Poncho Villa. And uh, he, he was a, uh, just a, a, a credible virtuoso. And Clifford Brown, was a great uh, trumpet player. And of course, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Louis Armstrong, all of those people I loved. But at the time, my idol was John Parrish. John Parrish was a local trumpet player. And Grady Black, uh, his uh, his uh, uh, friend, uh, they both went to Lane College there in Jackson, Tennessee. And, and John was just really, oh my God, he was he was just beautiful. So I wanted to be like him. But John was a, was, was a, he was a kindred spirit to Clifford Brown and to Lee Morgan and to Booker Little. Booker Little was, was from Memphis. Booker is one of the greatest people to, to ever play the music. He died at age 24 from sickle cell. Here we are. You're uh, yeah. enrolling in Indiana. I just had this flash. You met young Monroe Anderson that very year that you uh, enrolled in Indiana? I did. I did. And oh boy, we were, we were kindred spirits in a lot of ways. We, we were just, we're young. We both, uh, come from, uh, black communities. Um, we, uh, were highly motivated and we were just young, you know, just young, young and, and foolish in some ways as young folks, but we were, we just enjoyed ourselves and we hooked up and became really, really good friends, really, really dear, dear friends. And we've maintained that friendship. Over the years, I, I could just picture Monroe in 1965. He must have looked like he was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, you should see me go into my philosophy classes. I used to wear this this tweed, this tweed jacket and, and carry a smoke, smoke a pipe. Ah, <laughs> uh, the young scholar from South Bend with his pipe. <laughs> I'm a young scholar. Uh, so, okay, you're a young scholar at uh, University of Indiana in 1965, 66. That's your freshman year. Uh, you're mm-hmm. studying the trumpet. You've got uh, aspirations to be the next Clifford Brown or Rafael Diaz. I'm, I'm studying the trumpet with the great one and only Mr. William Adams. Mr. William Adams, that we just finished a symposium of three days. It's called the William Adams Trumpet Festival. It was supposed to happen. Uh, 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 in Washington this year, but uh, because of the COVID, it was happening online. And so there were three days of presentations on last uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of last week. And let me tell you, they were just something else. And Mr. Adam was a genius. He was, he was a, his first trumpet player plays, his trumpet players plays, um, he's uh, the Bobby Burns, is from Monroe's hometown, Gary, Indiana, mm-hmm. plays with Earth, Wind, and Fire. 
He has people who played uh, Jerry Hay was uh, played was uh, wrote a lot of trumpet music for for Quincy Jones. Charlie Davis, one of the greatest lead players in California and in Las Vegas. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And people not really well known. You know, he has the the, the, the principal trumpet player with the brother in Philharmonic is is one of his students too. It just goes on and on. It, it's so beautiful. So you're studying with the, <laughs> the great uh, and uh, William Adam. How did you go from being a student studying uh, Indiana to joining the military? Well, uh, I had uh, I played in various bands down there. You know, I played in with the great Al Colbein. Al Colbein was a is, was a composer, arranger, and tenor saxophonist who held a, a, a band in Bloomington. And uh, most of the people who went through there, the good players, uh, were able to play in his band. I was very lucky to to play in his band along with the great lead trumpet player Larry Weidman. And uh, Al's band was the road band for Henry Mancini. For uh, we played with uh, Tom Jones. We played with all, all big names like that. We just go out and, and 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 do all of those things. And so I got it. It got so good to me that I stopped going to classes and stuff. And I uh, actually took some time off to, to to do that, and I got drafted. Wow! So I had to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to determine whether I was going to either go to uh, Vietnam or whether I was going to go to jail. And I looked at going to jail, and I, and uh, it was okay, except they were not going to let me have my horn. So I said, well, no, I can't do that. So I said, well, maybe I could just desert. And I said, well, I looked at that. I said, I don't know about that. I said, well, let me see what it's going to take for me to, to survive in Vietnam. So I, I always believed in prayer and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I did some serious meditation on it. And uh, I talked to a, a returning veteran from Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, Alan Barnes, a great tennis saxophone player from Detroit, who went on to be a part of the Blackbirds, led by Donald, Donald Byrd, a great trumpet player, who taught at... Um, at uh, uh, Howard University. And so uh, he told me the stuff that I had to know. He gave me two sets of information I'm gonna, I won't share with you, but things that I knew how I to get out of the country. And uh, he just gave me two, two pivotal pieces of information that I needed that I said, okay, I'll go to Nam and I'll survive it. So I, so I ended up going to Nam. Mm, what year was this? Uh, so let me see. Oh, I was 68, 60. Yeah, I was in there 68. Yes, yes. So 1968, you're yes. 22 years old. And yeah. uh, you're a trumpet player, a jazz man, and uh, basically a person, you just talked about meditation. You're obviously uh, not someone who likes to fight. You're right. More, uh, oh, no, no. Yeah, no. conciliatory person. Uh, so just... Just take us through landing uh, or arriving in Vietnam. First of all, were you, you were in the army, I presume. They got drafted, so you're in the army, correct? Yes, I was in the army. I was in the army. I was in yeah. And how did you army handle and, uh, the army discipline and the way they treated GIs? And uh, oh, that was terrible. You know, when I went to basic training, I took with me uh, how, why, Bertrand Russell's "Why Are We in Vietnam." I took um, I took uh, uh, all kinds of books. You know. Uh, well, let me see, my man. I took Stokely Carmichael's book. I took I just took all kinds of books with me to to basic training, and I'm reading them. And so, 
they inspecting my stuff? And they said, wait a minute, whose stuff is this? Why are we in Vietnam? I said, it's mine, sir. He said, oh, 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 I'll show you what we think of this. And he threw it in the trash can and, and lit it on fire. In the fire next time, he threw it in and lit it on fire. He lit all my books on fire. And he said, Ellison, you won't be needing that stuff here. And I just looked at him, you know. He said, <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's how that went. And uh, so we had to fill out a questionnaire, and say, you know, about taking orders and stuff. And would you follow an order that you felt uh, was uh, unethical? I said, no, I won't follow it. So uh, he, so the guy said, "Ellison, you, you really, you really been compromising your, uh, your uh, time here in the military with those kinds of statements." Um, well, you know, I, we don't feel too good about that. So we proceeded on with with the stuff, and then they called me out. They said, "Charles, we want you to speak with this this captain." And so I went and spoke with the captain, and he said, and "He said, Ellison, he said, uh, he said, well, you, you know." You don't really realize it, but you're kind of lucky today. I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, the stuff that you wrote down could get you put in jail, could get you put out of, out, of, out of the army, or whatever, you know." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's how I feel." And he said, "And it turned out that he was he was a trumpet player, okay? Yeah. He was working for the CID, but he was a trumpet player, and he had played with some big bands and stuff, and he knew that I was a trumpet player." And he said, "Well, Mr. Ellison, he said, what do you want?" I said, well, I just want a chance to audition. He said, he said, we could send you to an artillery unit, to a, you know, we could send you to a fighting unit, or whatever. I said, no, I just want a chance to audition. That, that's it, you know. I've been to university. I've been studying this, this stuff. I want a chance to audition. And he laughed at me and he said, Ellison, you got it. So I got into a band. I auditioned and got into the 399th Army Band at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. We had two bands there, 399th and the 423rd. I got into the 399th. And uh, there, I'm sorry. No, go ahead You're, with your story. Go ahead. So there again, I was I was lucky. I was I didn't like KP and all of that stuff. And uh, and, I, and so I was assigned um, rural duty, which meant that I had to I had a I had a uh, a van. I had a driver. And I would get extra duty pay when I left the base to go play these funerals. So we got all around Arizona and all, I'm sorry, to Arkansas and, and Southern Missouri and all of that stuff to play these things. And I would just go out and play to the, the, the grave site and I'd play a taps. Occasionally I'd play a silver taps. That's taps shared by two trumpets, uh, who are, uh, are uh, dislocated by uh, a, a certain distance, and we play da da da. He answers da 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 da, so forth and so on. We do the whole thing, and uh, oh my God, I had some really funny experiences with, uh, with what I call rednecks in <laughs> in uh, in uh, Arkansas. But I survived it all, and my driver and I. So I was cool. I mean, I didn't have to. I didn't have to pull KT. I didn't have to do any of those things. I was just kind of, and I spend my time in the library reading up on military law. I became quite conversant with military law. I knew what you could do and what you could not do. And so a person would say something to me, and I said, and I and I and, and I recite the the regulation to him, you know. So my God, I'm surprised I didn't so just kick you I, out. I just, 
<laughs> I don't know. They kicked Jimi Hendrix out. I, they should have kicked you out. I, Go on. I, I, <laughs> that would have that would have been nice. That would have been nice. But I so we started we started a university. Okay. We had the University of the Streets at, at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Everybody taught, taught what they could take. I taught philosophy and music, and the other folks. We had some people who who didn't know anything, but all they could teach was, was dealing with dope. But we made we everybody could make their presentation. This was the University of the Street that we did in Vietnam. Oh my God, it was it was beautiful, and it was because of that that I got sent to Vietnam. Wait, <laughs> I'm so, sorry, it was it was the University of the Street by me in, in the military. Yes, it was because of that that they sent me to Vietnam. Explain that uh, the correlation. Well, it was it was it was it was something that the military didn't like. They didn't. They didn't like. You know. I mean, some of me having all this knowledge about the military, and for us to be having, actually helping one another, learn something, and even the poorest of us, the the most, uh, the, the in terms of uh, of, of uh, formal education and stuff, everybody had something to contribute, and they didn't like that. So, Charles, let me just stop you for a moment and ask you this question: So, had you not formed the University of the Streets? Had you not gone in that direction, had you instead continued to play taps at funerals, uh, and I'm sh- I know there was no shortage of funerals because the Vietnam War was heating up and there were bodies <laughs> coming back. So had you just, mm-hmm. the, you could have served out your, what, two-year commitment uh, in the, the mm-hmm. Army just playing taps in the United States? Am I correct in that? Well, perhaps, perhaps. They can always change your orders. You know, you never know what they're going to do to you. But yes, theoretically, that was a high, high possibility that that could have happened. Yes. But instead, you were a troublemaker with the University of the Streets, and so they, they rewarded you in quotes, rewarded, punished you mm-hmm. by sending you to Vietnam. Yes, right. That's right. That's right. Which, by the way, let's just pause. Just how mm-hmm. like okay. counterintuitive that is for the army. You would think the army, in order to "quote unquote" win the war in Vietnam, would send over people who wanted to fight in the war in Vietnam. Instead, the army was using the war in Vietnam as a way to punish a man who clearly didn't want to fight and would not be that productive as a soldier. Do you follow what I just said? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I would be productive as a soldier. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fighter. I was just born that way. I, I, nobody's gonna kick my ass. If I had to fight, I would fight. I would have been a good soldier if I had to fight. Now, fortunately, um, I was in a situ- in situations the whole time that I was there for a year and five days. By the way, uh, I, um, I, um, I never had to initiate anything that was offensive in terms of fighting. I only had to react defensively. But there were many times, in the, you know, to rack into mortars, to rockets, to snipers, to uh, things like that. And of course, you have to fight then. But I, we never had to go out and just engage, uh, seek out folks like so many of the people. I mean, the story that you really need to hear, you need to hear some people who walk point, people who are fighting, actually fighting every day, mm. you know, who woke up with rockets, went to bed with rockets, who who woke up with snipers, who all all kinds of stuff. I can recall uh, Ben um, playing. We had these things that we would play after I was in the army over there. We would uh, 
we were three. I was, it was, I was in the 101st Airborne, Screaming Eagle, Death from Above Division. That's what was our, our thing was Death from Above, driving, jumping in our parachutes. We didn't have to do that in Vietnam, of course, but that was our thing, Death from Above. Mm. Okay. So, um, uh, I, um, I, uh, was, um, oh, I forgot, I forgot my train of thought. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back to it. But, I remember being landed over there, and um, I had just come into country, okay? Mm-hmm. And I remember meeting people on the plane on the way over there. We were just talking, you know, brothers and stuff. We were just talking and stuff and, and wishing that everybody would get back home, you know? And so uh, I'd been there for about four months or so, and we were playing a stand-down. That's when you go and you play a show for troops who've been out in the field, and they return for uh, for a day or two, and they can drink beer and eat, and eat and sleep in regular beds and all that kind of stuff. And I looked up and I saw this friend of this guy who I drove over on the plane with. They were coming from from a from a fight, and his boots. I looked down at his boots. His boots are normally black, but they were white. They'd been brushed up, but all the jungle brush and stuff. And I looked at him and I said, Brother Jones. I said, it's so good to see you. He said, Chaz, take care of your trumpet. Because your trumpet is taking care of you. And I almost cried. I almost cried. And the trumpet did take care of me. Your trumpet took care of me so many times then. I mean, it took care of me. It took care of me. My father's day was last Sunday. My, my daughter made my daughter. I have a seventeen-year-old daughter who drew uh, who drew uh, make me a father's day card. And we were up, we have a place at, at the lake in the Little Engines. We were up there, beautiful day and everything. And she gave me this card. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was a trumpet that had the it had like a flower coming out of the bell. The trumpet the bell was vertical. Okay, coming out of it, there was a flower with love blossoms, and it said "Happy Birthday, my Happy Father's Day, Dad," and and uh, all these beautiful flowers and rays and stuff. And then you look at the trumpet and you see where the mouthpiece receiver is. She had roots coming out of the mm-hmm. out of out of the, the trumpet. The trumpet was alive. I said, "Oh my God!" I cried. I said, "Thank you, Sealer. This is the best thing I ever received." It was so beautiful, man. If you could have seen it. Oh, my God. I said, I'm going to take a photo, photograph of this, and I'm going to frame this. Yeah, I'm going to frame this. It's going to be part of my legacy and your legacy. See, and this is just beautiful. So you see all these little things. All these little things are, are, are related, you know. All of these things are related. I remember going to Monroe's house when, when he and Joyce had Scott, you know. And then they had Kyle, and I used to be in this one room, and the boys would sneak in in the morning and wake me up and sneak in. I'd be, I'd be on the couch or on the bed like I'm sleeping, you know, yeah. but I would be awake because they, they had, you know, and they'd, they'd be discussing, uh, you think he's awake? Uh, why don't you lift one eye? <laughs> one of them reached out to my eye and start over. I know, I think he's asleep. I mean, all these things I just think about. I, I, I just, oh, it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful. All right, now let's go it's, back to, it's just so beautiful. to that quote that that man told you in Vietnam, and I wrote it down. 
uh, and uh, amplified a little bit and, and, and explain exactly what he means. Uh, quote, Chaz, take care of your trumpet because your trumpet is taking care of you. You're- yes, yes. Well, he's out there in the bush. I mean, he's out there every day in the bush. I'm eating regular food. Uh, but he's, he's, he's eating like, he's eating like uh, sea rations and stuff. You know, he's, he's you know, and, he, and, and uh, he's been pinned down by snipers. He told me that, that they were, he was personally pinned down for a whole day by a sniper behind a, tr- a tree. He said if he moved one, one fraction of an inch, there was a bullet there. He went through that. He was terrorized all day long. All day long. This is somebody's son. This ain't no. This is not a, a, a movie. This is somebody's son who was in church the other day. You know what I'm saying? Who was going to school? Who was playing football, basketball, baseball? Who had a girlfriend? A human being. Black lives matter. Yes. Somebody like that. You know. So it was just terrible. So I, I, I always, I, I, he has a place in my heart, even today. Is, is he still alive? I can alive? Just think back. I can, I don't know. You know, the whole thing about the bloods, you know, the five bloods and our bloods, I had five bloods too. I mean, we had a lot of folks over there, but there were five brothers and I were really tight. And I, and I think about that stuff. I said, oh my God. And you know, one of the five bloods, Earl Clifton from Rochester, New York, looked me up. He heard me somehow. I don't know how he found out I was living in Montreal, but he came up from 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 Rochester, New York, and found me. And he uh, he's a trumpet player too. Could really really play. He's from Florida, from St. Pete. He could re- from Jacksonville. I'm sorry. He could really really play. He had one of the best articulations of any trumpet player I've ever heard in my life. Because down there, in their marching bands, they had to do this thing. There's an, an exercise book called Arbin. They go, dun, 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 dun. Now, they would ha- they would, they'd have the mouthpiece on their, their lips. They go, dun, they'd have to take it off and reset it for, dun, 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 dun. And they could do that, dun, 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 dun. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I never heard anybody with that, that kind of, uh, uh, articulation but we became really tight really really tight and uh unfortunately he died a couple of years ago he had uh, he had he, he had a really bad kidney and uh he didn't have pts none of us had i don't think he had that strife and stuff PTSD. but uh he was beautiful and johnny l.a robertson i don't know what happened we, we lost track of him um thomas a chappelle was a, was a minister from tulsa he, he passed away. Grady, I don't know where. Grady was from New York. He's a brother. He left one night. He said, "I." He said, "Charles, I'm I, I'm fed up with this. I'm leaving." In the middle of the night, he said, "Can we come down to the shower and play one more time?" He played tennis saxophone. We went down and we played at about two o'clock in the morning. The brothers down in the shower playing, and then he left. I never heard of him again. Well, he just walked out. He left. The, he left the base. Win a wall, <laughs> yes. In Vietnam, I don't know whether he got killed. Wow. 
in Vietnam. I don't, I don't know whether he got killed or whether he found a, a woman in a place somewhere that accepted him or whether he got to Hanoi. I don't know. But he was headed for Hanoi. Wow. What's his name? <laughs> Grady. Grady, if you're listening, give us a call. <laughs> if by chance you're out there. Uh, yeah, you know, what a scene. I mean, you, you, in that, see, you in that shower yeah. with Grady at 2 in the morning just playing a farewell song. Human Mascalas thing. Oh man, we oh we were hitting oh we were hitting all kinds of Kayla. Oh my goodness, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we hitting all this stuff, you know, because I I I we had a band. Uh, we had the regular marching band that would play change of command ceremonies and as I said, stand downs and all that kind of stuff. But we had, but we had a small band. I'm sorry, the small band played stand downs. We we were kind of like um, I remember Blood Sweat and Tears. Uh, uh, was very very popular at the time, so I transcribed their music. You know, da, 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 spinning wheel and all that. God yeah. goes up, spinning wheel. You know, but we did uh, we did all we did uh, James Brown stuff. We did uh, all just everything stuff from Detroit. We did the, the stuff from Memphis. You know, I wrote a piece called Fool by Soul Stew based upon uh, my man's uh, Memphis Soul Stew. Oh, two by those four through was mean. Oh, we used to play that. The produce would just go crazy. And the Vietnamese would go crazy, too, because one time we were playing, like, uh, at an artillery unit that was in the base of this, this valley and with mountains all around it. It was big. It had, like, 16 howitzers in, a, in, a, in an oblong uh, configuration around us, and we were in the middle plane. We played, we played uh, two by souls through. It got so bad. It was so mean that when... When the applause stopped, we heard the applause coming from outside of the perimeter. That's wild. <laughs> and the officer said, "Officer said, said, play that again," and we played it again. And he was able to coordinate and see how, how what the distance was for a grenade launcher. You know, we could just shoot it, fire it up. You know, if we needed to. And uh, but they, they, it was V, it was, it was uh, NV, it was not NVA, VC, VC had tunneled in. Spying on us, got close to us, but they got high. They, they got high. They went. They, they got high, and they were just enjoying themselves. They were partying with us. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> so the officer, to his, to his, uh, his, uh, um, uh, what should say? I would say his good judgment said, "We're just gonna let them go." He didn't shoot it up. To his credit, yes, he did not. He just he just let them let them go. Yeah. Things like you make those kinds of decisions over there, you know, from time to time. You just let them know everybody was partying, you know. And then the next day we went found we found yes there was a there was a bunker that they had dug in and and they you we could tell that they had you know they had got high and they just they they they, they escaped in the night you know just went on somewhere else. Uh, but while they were there, they enjoyed your music. Um, did uh, yeah, so the exactly. trumpet really did save you. It, it, oh, absolutely! The trumpet saved you, uh, and uh, so now were you? Was it racially segregated in Vietnam, or were the people oh. that you hung around with all black, or were there any white very people? No, very, Vietnam was the most racially segregated thing you could imagine. I remember one time going out to a place to play it was somewhere south of us, 
uh, and uh, my my whole thing was whenever I went somewhere new, I looked for depressions in the earth. I looked for something that where I could take shelter if I was snipered at, or if rockets or mortars came in. And I saw this concrete bunker, and I said, oh, shit, that's my place. And I went to the bunker, and I got to the bunker, and there was a sign there that said, whites only. Damn. <laughs> they just put it out there. Whites only. <laughs> whites, whites only, absolutely. Absolutely. And, of course, in our band, uh, you, 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 your band, so you play together, you play music together. But uh, there was very little uh, real uh, racial... Uh, intermingling. There was Brian Breezley Bros, a person from Crip, South Dakota, who could, he was a, he was a trombonist, and he played double bass, uh, electric bass in the band. He was something, and Brian was just crazy. He was just, he was just crazy. Mm. But he was the, the brother, he, we made him an honorary brother. <laughs> he would ride on the trucks with us yeah. when we when we traveled through the jungle. He would ride on the trucks with us. He's the only one he let, we would let ride with us. And with the... Okay. Yeah, and, I, I was just. Gonna... I mean, we're just we're going to we're going to play. Uh, we're going somewhere to play. Uh, uh, well, they would have us go out and we play uh, the Clear Village, okay? The Clear Village, and then they would burn it, and we play a march. <laughs> That's very bizarre. Yeah, I, 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 that shit happens. Oh, you you know, it, it shit like that would happen. And uh, so. I don't know if the word enjoy is the appropriate word. I can't think of another one, but you're playing music. You're playing music in a war zone. You're playing music while for people who are either killing or in danger of being killed. Uh, so I don't know if the word enjoy is applicable, but you are playing music. So would you say oh, you were yeah. enjoying oh, yeah. yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah, so go ahead. Oh, oh yeah! So anytime you played, even if we were playing, uh, we were playing a march. We John Phillips was just marches and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we we enjoyed playing. We enjoyed that. We enjoyed that. Now, when you know that you're playing for a village that's being tortured, we didn't like that. We had to play, but you didn't like that. Mm-hmm. You did not like that when we were playing a, a change of command ceremonies and rockets start to come in. Well, we just go in and and find the first hole we could jump in. And uh, and and we were enjoying playing, and we just go on and finish enjoying. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we played formal concerts for the officers, or formal dances for them, and things like that. You enjoyed that, and they, of course they enjoyed the music that I wrote, and um, the organization that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, my bandmaster was uh, was uh, not uh, he was a um, was a warrant officer, and uh, he was from Hawaii. And uh, he really didn't like, uh, he was just a staunch military guy, you know. And, but he was new there, and he got on me for not having my boots blouse one time, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means you tuck your, your trousers into your, into your boots and stuff. And so uh, he said, Ellison? I said, yes. He said, uh, your boots are not blouse. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, oh well, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. You know, he said, well, that's. That's, that's improper. You do that. If you do that again, uh, you're going to be in serious trouble. Thank you, sir. And uh, it was on. And then one time a, a rocket attack happened, occurred, you know, mm-hmm. and we had dug bunkers outside our, our hooches and stuff. It was his first rocket attack. And he froze. 
he froze. The rockets were coming in. I, we just running. So I grabbed him and I threw him in the bunker. And I jumped on top of him and I said, well, sir, you're going to have to react a little quickly until you, your wife and your dog at home will never see you again. <laughs> at point on, we were tight. And from that point on, you saved his life. Uh, what is it? Your boots are not, what's the final word? Just so everybody can know. Blouse, the blouse. 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 You have a, yeah, yeah. Up at the top of your boots, you have a little, um, like a garter. Uh-huh. And you put the, you put the, the, your pants in the garter. I got it. And they're blouse. I got you. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're, you're playing <laughs> music in Vietnam, which is, it's, it does sound like a, like a dark comedy uh actually and uh it really does like a dark comedy i could just see see a movie being made of this charles you're playing music in vietnam uh we had a discussion uh on the show about a week ago which i urge everybody if they haven't heard it already check it out sergio mims and daniel mm-hmm. scruggs two really uh smart uh film critics here in chicago uh picking apart mm-hmm. uh, spike lee's to five bloods and what it means and what they thought okay. about it and putting mm-hmm. it in the uh uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do a uh, Defy Blood thing again because we already have it once. I urge everybody to see it. And I really don't care if we do spoilers on this interview because, folks, you should have watched it already. It's on Netflix. It's easy to watch. And I, <laughs> in my humble opinion, everyone should watch it. It's not a perfect movie, but it's really well, well worth watching. Those scenes, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, the scenes that got to me, Charles, and I thought were so powerful, get your response to this, have to do with the character Hanoi Hannah who is mm-hmm. an English-speaking uh, operative for the North Vietnamese who's playing psychological right. games with black GIs by sending out messages, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sending out messages to black GIs over the radio that, that torment them. But she says, while you're here fighting for a country that disrespects you and dishonors you, you should know that in your home country, Martin Luther King was just assassinated by a white man. And you're fighting a white man's war. And, and then she would play Marvin Gaye, saying, let's see what Marvin mm-hmm. has to say about it. And I thought that was, a, <laughs> he, they did that like a couple of those very compelling scenes. Did you have any Hanoi, Hannah moments when you were in Vietnam? Oh yes, yes, yes. Hanoi Hannah would uh, our band would would was used for psychological warfare too. We would make radio broadcast with uh, either NVA or VC deserters or people who had been captured, and so we'd come on and we play uh, we play stuff and then featuring uh they, they I know they said featuring they call me Charlie Trumpet. Lord have mercy, Charlie Trumpet. Uh, on this one, you know, and uh, and we play and stuff, and then they give their little spiel about uh, uh, the uh, advantages of uh, of being on the side of the Americans and uh, and of deserting and stuff. And I guess this was being fairly, um, it was fairly effective anyway. Somewhere, somebody in the North Vietnamese um, uh, intelligentsia decided that uh, no, 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 we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta quail this stuff. So they started shooting rockets at us. Normally, there was a protocol. You didn't shoot rockets at anybody when it was raining. You didn't shoot it in the morning. You know, there was kind of a little protocol for, for fighting and stuff, you know. But they violated the protocol all the time. They'd, they'd rocket us in the morning for lunch, for dinner, for at nighttime, all kinds of stuff. It's scared to death. Any, 
anywhere we traveled, they knew what mode of operations we were taking. They'd shoot at the trucks. They'd shoot at the, the, the choppers we were on. Oh, my God, it was terrible. It was, that's when I, I came close to, to exercising one of the, the things that I had sought out to, to get me out of the country. That, uh, that I, one of the two things that I told you I found out about before going over there. But, uh, I, but I did. And, and uh, finally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hannah, Hannah was very real. Very, very, very. I know she probably, uh, I can't imagine what it did to the psyches of the people out in the field actually doing the fighting. How, how, what, did, what did it do to your psyche? Oh, I just, well, you know, nothing to me. Uh, you know, I'm in a survival mode, you know. I'm over there. So I just, I just say that, that such and such is doing her thing again, you know. <laughs> you know, and that's all, you know, you know. Uh, so you're in it. You can't be, you can't be like philosophical and all of that judgmental and stuff. You're in it, and you know that she's doing what she's got to do, and you're doing what you got to do. My thing is to stay alive. Her thing is to get me killed. And so that's, that's what it is. And you stayed alive. When did you finally get out? Well, I finally got out uh, after, uh, you know, a year and five days. I was supposed to be able to come home, and uh, they were, planes were not available for us because of some kind of thing uh, involving uh, people in the National Guard and stuff. So they had priority over it. <laughs> Boy, we, 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 we really acted up, and we finally got we, we got out. But uh, there's just so many, uh, so many things that, uh, that happen. And I must say, too, that the things with, um, with um, our white brothers, you know, uh, they were not all negative. You know, you could, you could there, were, there were various white brothers that I could just, that that I still talk to. That I, uh, in fact, there's a, we we have a we have something online that uh, uh, you know, 101st Airborne Division uh, uh, group that we can that we talk. We haven't met or talked uh, lately, but we have photographs of us. All of us take send in photographs, and we have a composite of photographs of us. We have, uh, uh, we put on uh, obituaries of people who passed on Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, and and it's really uh, similar to a comment that you made the other day. Uh, Most of my white uh, folk persons uh, are are Trump people. They're, They're staunch conservatives. And uh, that's just the way it is. Well, that's... I, don't, I would like... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I would like to someday uh, visit the... I haven't visited the wall yet. It's very hard for me to go to the wall. Sorry. Okay. I, I'd like to go to the wall with some of my, my, my people from the um, I would even go there with white folks too. The Trump white folks. Uh, yeah, Charles, this, it's very complicated. It is complicated. It's very complicated. And I, and I pointed this out to you, and I say this all the time. And I, I just, I'll tell folks the way I said it to you because it's this observation I've made, I've seen. Somehow or other, 
And Charles, I already told this to you, so this is going to be an echo yeah, of what yeah. I already told you. But somehow or other, you could take a black man from South Bend, Indiana, by way of Tennessee, and put him into the Army and send him to Vietnam and have him go through all the life-threatening moments that you went through and bring him back home. And there's no way in the world he's going to vote for Donald Trump. You take the white man, let's say he's from South Bend, Indiana, put him in the same situation, send him to Vietnam, he comes home, his conclusion is, I'm going with Donald Trump. Charles, I will never understand that. I know, it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy. Well, you know, even in terms of going into the Army, when we went down for our physical and stuff, uh, I should have been rejected. I should have re- re- rejected because of my feet. And uh, my fellow fellow uh, white friend who lived down the street from me in South Bend, Indiana, was Italian, whose feet were... Uh, he had his feet were nowhere near mine and stuff. He got rejected because of his feet, and they accepted me and sent me to, to uh, basic training about that. So you see all of these 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 things that are there. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's it's it, it's crazy. It's really really crazy. You know, and then I go on. You know, I go on and I said, well, okay, I go on in life, and I and I I, I keep reading and stuff and I and I find out find out through uh, through uh, um, you know one of your own folks Reverend uh, the doctor Reverend uh, Jeremiah Wright uh, about things I never knew about about black folks uh, things that I never knew about uh, I mean in, in one of his you uh, just in one of his interviews he'll give you uh, he'll, he'll he'll give you we'll note uh, 15 black PhDs with extraordinary uh, research, you know, he'll know he himself speaks Yiddish, speaks Portuguese, speaks German. It's, it's amazing the kind of stuff that he does, but nobody knows about it. They just know he's he's the Obama's he's Obama's minister who's all that troublemaker over there, and blah 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 blah. And I'm, I'm, you know, and then you you think about it from your own from your own city. You think about. Gwendolyn Brooks. Oh my God! How many people know about about Gwendolyn? How many people are hip to Studs Terkel? How many people uh, have read any Studs Terkel's books? Many beautiful books. How many people are hip to his radio archives? My students are. My students are. How many people are hip to to to, to all of the philanthropic uh, uh, and um, community-based work that Winston Marcellus does? How many people have checked out his interviews? He has numerous interviews on online. How many people know that when Jesse Norman sings sings Wagner, she sings it like she's German. She her discipline is so on point. She knows that she knows German history. She speaks the language. When she sings Wagner, the Germans put their arms around her and say, Come here, sister, you reset me. Look at that beautiful. <laughs> Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The, amen. Amen. There's the, <laughs> the world is right out there in front of you, people. You can you could sup from any of these things, but you choose not to. 
Uh, yeah. There you go. It's a lot of it. There you go. It just comes down. You can you can you can look at Carolina and Elton John and Coltrane's "A Love Supreme." You know, and I saw that stuff there. Da da da, sha da 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 da, and I said, "Oh my God, that was a prayer." <laughs> he actually, all of those things. The Love Supreme saved me. It saved a whole lot of people in the '60s. It made dope people put down their dope. A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Yeah. How many people are hip to John Coltrane? Not you know, many. How many people know about, you know, how many people, how many people, let's go to Spike. Spike Lee. Spike Lee. How many people are hip to the, the, the where Spike comes from? How many people are hip to his father, David Lee? Bill. Extraordinary bassist. Extraordinary composer. Extraordinary band leader. Extraordinary American. Yeah. A, a black American, extraordinary American by anybody's, anybody's degree. Yeah. David Lee, if you want to find that spike, check out, do a little research, white folks. Yeah. Bill and Lee. black folks in the world, do a little research. All right. It's out there, the world is out there waiting for you to discover it. And it's more than on television. And it's more than in Time Magazine. And it's more than any magazine. It's out there for you to discover. And with the and with stuff online now, there's no reason for you just not to uh, learn how to use it. My students don't know how to use the the, the web as, as 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 good as I do, as well as I do. I see you guys. You used to these fast little fixes things, and da, 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 but you don't know how to research. Oh no no no! You don't know how to reject this and that and that. And now you now now you have to bring the whole thing of deciding, determining what's fake news too. But it's, it's part of the, the it's a part of the time continuum that we live in right now. All right, no, no. And this whole thing, you know, the time that we live in right now, all of the voices of the young people across the world saying Black Lives Matter and our lives matter, and old folks, y'all, y'all got to give it up. All right, now y'all got me, to give it up. Uh, to, uh, <laughs> to quote Marvin Gaye. All right, let me ask you this question, and we'll close it down with this. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote this down as soon as you said it. You mentioned the great Donald Byrd and the Blackbirds. And mm-hmm. uh, they had a song way back many years ago. It's uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. It's called Where Are You Going? Where Are We Going? I think it's called mm-hmm. Where Are We yeah. Going? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your opinion, answer that question. Where are we going? Do you, are you positive uh, when you look at the world from your perch? Oh. Or are you mm-hmm. worried? Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, I know we are going, we, the world, the black folks, the brown folks, the yellow folks, the red folks, all folks are going forward. We are moving forward, not backwards, not sideways. We're moving forward. We are moving forward. We're moving forward towards the light. I'm not talking about light in terms of religious stuff, but in to, 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 it, we're moving forward towards enlightenment. We're moving forward, forward towards the goal of enlightenment. That's where we move. That's my stuff is about that. That's what I tell my students. I tell my students that you're, you are the member of the human race before you're the member of any of ethnicity. You are a human being. You're a member of the human race. The human race is something that's very special. As far as we know, it's the only one time it's happened. It might be somewhere else out there in the universe, but we don't know about that yet. And boy, it's very, very special. And here on Mother Earth, you have to respect her. She's beautiful. 
and, ain't, and, and you have to respect our women. We all come in this world via women. If you ain't got no sheroes, something wrong with you. <laughs> you got to have as many sheroes as you do he- heroes. You should have more sheroes than you do heroes. Because right. it's on them well, that we move forward. All right, very good. Charles Ellison, I just want to tell you, you're, uh, our dear friend, our mutual friend, Monroe Anderson, is also very positive. In a very strictly political terms, I'll leave you with this. Uh, he was on the show today earlier. He was so optimistic about Donald Trump losing in November. And I think that's a key first step uh, to having a clear yeah. sense of where we're going. Uh, that he predicted Absolutely. in his optimism, he predicted, are you ready for this, that Alabama and Mississippi would go against Donald Trump in the election. I said, Monroe, whatever you're smoking, I'll have a little of that too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my man, money, my man. <laughs> Monroe, money, Mon- <laughs> Anderson. Uh, very good. I want to thank you, Charles Ellison. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And uh, we'll probably bring you back. I eh, may let a month or two go and bring you back, talk politics and music and all kinds of things. All right. Okay. And I want to thank you very much, Ben. And I want to thank your audience for listening and for um, receiving um, whatever I had to say, because it's offered in honesty. It's offered from the bottom of my heart. And I am a not a judgmental person. I'm not a racist. I'm a lover of all of God's children. I'm a lover of all of God's children in this wonderful planet that he gave us to exist in. And I move forward. Very good. Thank you so much, Charles Ellison. That's Charles Ellison. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. Hey, downloaders, we do the show live. Yeah, you should check it out sometime. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, also on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Live! Yeah, go check it out!